Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. How do you stand firm in troubling times? Robert shares from experience the need to dig deep wells in the Lord. He and Doug examine the importance of abiding in God's presence, allowing the Word to cut away the flesh to bring renewal. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service where you will also find our show notes. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. Robert, it's great to have you on today. Doug, it is so good to be with you and your team and your friends. I just want to honor all of the folks who work alongside of you as well. I know Jody and other team members You know, coming around a visionary leader is not the easiest thing to do, and your team has done it so remarkably. But Doug, I I have to say the level of consistency and faithfulness that you have modeled for the body of Christ over all of these years is really second to none. I just really want to salute and honor the way you have stewarded the call of God, the grace of God upon your life. It's been amazing. And it's been an example to me. Uh, I have seen you just walk a tightrope in so many different areas, you know, be it theological or relational or all of those areas that come up. And you've always, you've always walked with grace and you've walked with great insight. And it is an honor to be a part of your uh, podcast today. Thanks, Robert. I need to have you introduce me wherever I go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the feeling is mutual, and I'm just uh, honored by your friendship as well. Tell us a little bit about your personal faith walk and journey. How did you come to the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ as, as your Lord and Savior? So my faith journey is really complicated. Um, it's very complicated and difficult. I was raised in a very strict Christian, I would call it fundamentalist um, home, where we were in church literally constantly. And yet my parents were both abusers. Um, So I was raised with an incredible amount of, of abuse of all kinds. And at the same time, these were the people who were teaching my Sunday school class. So it was a very confusing kind of way to be introduced, you know, to the Lord. And just honestly, Doug, miraculously, I was just sharing this the other day with someone. When I look back, it's it's just remarkable. It was almost kind of like a Samuel thing. I mean, from a very young age, the Lord just helped me separate kind of the religious abusive environment that I was in from the reality of him and his voice. And I don't know how he did that. It was very kind of him to do that. You know, I was raised in that. And just had a sense of the protection of the Lord and the voice of the Lord and the guidance of the Lord over my life from an extremely young age. This was the era of a lot of, I would say it was the height of kind of the American evangelical, you know, thing. I mean, Jerry Falwell, Moral Majority, Kenneth Hagin, you know, it was all of these ministries. I just, um, from a young age, really got into the word of God and spending time in, in the Lord's presence. So that was, that was my journey. It was kind of separating the wheat from the tares, you know, separating religious fundamentalism, abusive religious fundamentalism from a genuine kind of walk with the Holy Spirit and the Lord. I have to say that similarly, I think all of us have defining moments where the Lord reveals himself more to us 
than even in the environment that we're in. For me, I remember as a young boy, you know, I was born in Japan, as you know, my mother was Japanese, my dad was uh, in the military. I remember even at a young age that I, I just knew there was something more. And even though I didn't have a, a strong Christian influence in my life, I remember wanting to go to church. I didn't care if it was Baptist or Assembly of God or non-denominational. I, so I asked my neighbors if I can go with them. In those days, I felt like, similarly with you, like a young assembly trying to hear the voice of God and and trying to get direction through all the, the minutia and all the, the, the noise pollution all around me in the world. And and right. I guess that's a part of that's helped define who I am today. And I'm sure the element of global influence, the, the imprint that you have, there's so many things tugging on you, so many voices out there. Has mm-hmm. that process from an early age helped you in working through and having discernment and working through some of the challenges you have to go through now? So it's such a good question. You know, what is this, you know, we call it the voice of the Lord, right? I mean, that, you know, like, really, like God is speaking to you, (laughs) you know, so how do you discern that? And how do you carry that? And how do you steward that? I would say there's a few aspects of that for me. Number one, Doug, I have come to just a cornerstone verse for my life more and more is Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, divides between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and motivations of the heart. And this issue of the word of God has for me become definitive. And I don't, I don't want to start preaching, but you're, you've invited a preacher and a teacher on, right? So, so you know, I, I look at my church often and I say, this is, you know, I'm holding up a Bible here. This is ink on a page. This is not the word of God. This is ink on a page. This ink on this page 150 years ago was used to justify slavery in, in pulpits across America, was used to justify, you know, all kinds of racism, all kinds of horrors. People have taken the scripture and twisted it. So the word of God cannot simply be our cherry picking of proof texts. The word of God ultimately is a person. Like ultimately in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, John chapter one. Certainly this is, this is powerful and this is helpful. You know, this is the, 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 the logos of the word. And, and we come back to this and we check everything against this, but it has to work in partnership with a living relationship with Jesus, a living relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that to me, the litmus test is that the word of God always cuts in both directions. So if I'm in a situation, that other person can be as wrong as they can be. But you know what? There's some 10% in there somewhere where I was wrong. There's some, there's some 10% that God's trying to teach me something or show me something. And so if I'm really discerning the word of God, if I'm really walking in the true voice of the Lord, it's always going to be cutting away at my flesh. It's always going to be cutting away at the parts of me that need renewal and need growth It's not going to be me just either finding a verse to prove what I want to prove or, you know, having a dream. And then, oh, the Lord said, you know, I mean, a lot of the charismatic Pentecostal church is very guilty of blaming the Holy Spirit for a lot of things that he never said. You know, the Lord told me, the Lord led me. I think it's deeper than that. You know, it's got to be the written word of God, a relationship with Jesus, and then 
the trusted community of faith. I mean, I think of the times over the years, Doug, that I've, I've leaned into you for wisdom and for counsel and for perspective on things. You know, we've navigated the Jewish-Christian relationship, which that's, that's challenging. There's all kinds of theological minefields, right? So we need the wisdom of many counselors, you know, together, the community of faith. But certainly that foundation that was laid in my childhood, both of the voice of the Lord and the written word of God, et cetera, you know, continues to kind of be the, the guidance system for my life today. You know, you made some great points here, and I want to park on a couple of thoughts here. Too often, we've taken this written word and we've used it, and yet I, I look at it this way. And in fact, I've written about this in a couple of my books that as we've seen and we preach, the letter of the law kills. Right. But what we forget is that the letter of the law can go a couple of different ways, just like you said, dividing with the sword and the spirit. But yet we see that the letter of the law can either move us into an extreme legalism, mm-hmm. or if we try to justify God's word, we can justify it, amend it to what we want, and it can become a liberty, then license, then licentiousness. So mm-hmm. if we're not approaching the word of God with the spirit of God, to bring life and revelation to the living word, which is Christ Jesus, then we will never truly find the fullness of what God has here in the treasures of relationship. In fact, in one of my books on the spirit of the Ten Commandments, I said, yeah, we can take the commandments like God's law, and it becomes legalistic in our lives. But if we understand the dynamic of the spirit of the intent by which God gives it to us to give us great parameters and protection just like the constitution of our nation. It's been amended so many times that if we lose the spirit of the founding intent, we will continue to amend it, amend it, amend it to fit what we want according to our flesh. So the same with God's word, we've got to approach, this is the guidebook. It's the the written ink, as you said, but yet it has no life without the breath of the Holy Spirit giving us revelation to the word himself. It's, it's Jesus who is our word. And, and if we don't have that relationship, then we will always be using this as a tool to justify our own excuses or to justify our legalism or projecting our personal preferences into other people. And so thank you so much for that, Robert. And as I was just thinking as you were talking about this, because you've created atmospheres, you understand the place of presence Because in God's presence, that's what he begins to work on those things that maybe we don't have to tell each other. We create an atmosphere for God's presence and God begins to speak to us. God has a way of doing that and bringing conviction in our lives. But I remember after Hurricane Harvey, we received a lot of calls across the country asking if they could come volunteer for various churches or ministries that we were working with. We received a particular call, one of my staff members, and they pulled me aside and asked me about it. So we'd asked for background checks for everyone. And in particular, a person said, look, I have to give you full disclosure. I'm in the process of transitioning. I was born a man and I'm now a woman, but I really feel like I'm supposed to help churches because I have construction background and carpentry background. And at first I thought it was a setup. And so we prayed and I got on the phone with this particular person. And when I began to ask a little bit about their background, they mentioned they had really been touched by the Lord going to some Robert Stern's worship gatherings. I think I called you about this. We talked about it. Instead of trying to tell him what was right and wrong, I said, look, I don't have a problem with you coming to volunteer. Anybody can come volunteer. 
But if you're going to specifically work in a particular church that we refer you to, then you have to give full disclosure to the pastor as well. So they understand the dynamic and they can make a decision to receive you or not. Well, one particular church not only received this person, but they also uh, let them stay in their home. It was not an easy process and journey, a lot of thoughts. And I'd spend time and our staff members spend time with this person and, and just going back and forth. And I said, look, I think the real issue here is you're trying to justify some things. No one's saying anything to you. You're being around an atmosphere in worship and God's presence. And these are issues that you have to be able to deal with internally because you have internal conflict going on. And until you would deal with that, there's no one that's going to be able to make you happy. But here's the cool thing about this. Sometime back in the last year and a half or so, she had become a she, but she came to me at a gathering of worship and said, I am now going back to my birth name. I'm a man. I want you to meet my son. And has been now speaking at different committees on the importance of not pushing some of the agenda that's being pushed on our children. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. So it came out of the atmosphere of the presence of God that began to do a work internally that helped him to come to this place of his own freedom and liberty. I know you deal with this in so many areas, but I just want to say that as a worshiper, as an intercessory worshiper as well, I'm sure you've seen so many things like this, where it's in the midst of the environment of God's presence that people's lives are being impacted. Tell us a bit about your journey leading in worship and intercession in worship. Yeah, no, and that story in particular is amazing. You know, this this uh, person just you know began attending our conferences, and you know we, we uh, again, as you say, we just we try to just create a, an atmosphere for the presence of the Lord. We we are known as a ministry for kind of like extended times of worship. You know, so many times I think we cheat ourselves and we cheat the Lord because worship is seen just as kind of a preliminary thing to get to the speaking. And, and really, I mean, it's all about the presence of the Lord. It's all about being in God's presence. And I think it's been also amazing, Doug, to see that same principle carry over to the Jewish Christian conversation. If I can just digress for a moment and tell you a story just from a couple months ago, we were in Los Angeles and we were doing our Los Angeles Celebrates Israel event. We we're actually in Compton, California, very spirit-filled church, you know, the choir, the gospel choir, the whole nine yards. And we had a very, very large group of Orthodox Jews show up to attend the service, which just off the bat is an amazing step for Orthodox Jews to come into a Christian, you know, church. I mean, that in itself, right, would be a step. But the Lord just started pouring out in the worship in such a way that was really remarkable. And I didn't, you know, I don't change anything based on who's there. We are who we are. But we came to this moment in the service and the Lord kind of gave me like a, I would call it like a word of wisdom, I guess. I got up and shared just the fact that our whole concept of worship, our whole worship understanding and expression, it comes from the Jews. I mean, the Psalms, the Psalms are the foundation of our whole worship vocabulary, our whole worship mentality, and this is all King David, etc. I said, you know, I understand the theological divide that separates us here, but we are worshiping the same God. We are worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are worshiping, you know, the Lord. There's a song that we sing. It's a one-word song, and it's a Hebrew word. And I said, we can unite in faith around this song. And it was, I just started to sing hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And Doug, I am telling you, 
these Orthodox Jews began lifting their hands wow. and singing with us and fully, I'm talking fully, entering into worship. It was the most mind-blowing experience that I've ever had. And I thought, Lord, there you are. I mean, you're skipping over the theology. You're skipping over all of that because our brains are going to freeze up. You know, we've got too many theological roadblocks on both sides to understand this. And yet you're drawing us into presence. I do think, Doug, to your point, as society becomes more toxic and polarized, right? Like all you've got is just, I mean, it's insane. I mean, th this thing has become, it's just a battleground of this tweet against that tweet and this thing against that. I mean, it's, it's toxic. I believe the thing that will override all of that is the sound of God's glory in his house. If we can step into the place of God's glory, God's presence being in his house, that is going to cut through all kinds of ideology, all kinds of um, scripting and narrative, and it's going to get to the heart. And so the Levites have to rise up. The intercessors have to rise up. Those who love the presence of the Lord, we have to contend for the presence of the Lord right now in our services and our churches and our prayer meetings, because I believe that's going to make all the difference. I wrote an article a couple of years ago on it's time to invite God back in his own house. We are to, to worship the El Bethel, the God of the house. But too often we have propped up the institution, the Bethel or the Bethel, rather than the God of the house. So we need God back in uh, worship that we're not worshiping the worshiper. We're not worshiping the, the speaker. We're, those are, we show honor, but there's a difference between honor and being enamored with celebrity, even in the church. I think God is saying, look, I need to be glorified and we need to get back to that place of authentically wanting his presence but not giving up a love for getting into his word. Because how do we know what the character and spirit of God if we don't understand what, what his word is? So there is this balance of we need to enter into his presence through worship. And of course, you and I know the first time the word worship was ever used in scripture wasn't the context of singing or instruments. It was the context of obedience. So yeah. how do we as individuals become the living worshipers so that God is attracted to our presence, so that the external expression of being living worshipers is this adoration, and this, as Keith Green used to say, getting bananas for Jesus, get excited for Jesus, so that others around us see something different about us. I just want to touch on one point you said regarding the Word of God, that I am right with you, like, I am, like, pounding right now that, like, biblical literacy Yes. is so necessary right now. I mean, it is scary to me, the lack of, because even most sermons now are, I mean, there's barely a text mentioned. I mean, forget exegesis, forget, you know, inductive study into the word. These preachers aren't even, there's not even a text, you know, it's just, it, it, I don't even understand. So I'm all about biblical literacy and going deep, you know, into the word. For me, the primary thing is, cultivating our ability to wait in the Lord's presence, to mm. just wait, to just be. We're fighting, at, right? Like Elon Musk, I think, just put out a tweet a day or two ago that he feels like TikTok, which does have its roots, I guess, in China, I've been told, 
like TikTok is literally like rewiring the American brain of like the Gen Z. The attention span is four seconds. There's an inability. There's an inability to meditate. There's an inability to focus. There's an inability to deeply connect. Bless the Lord, you who wait by night in the, in the house of the Lord, you know, lift up your hands in the sanctuary, that, that ability to just gaze, to just meditate, to just step into, because that's how we're changed. That's, that's where the, the spirit of God begins to come. He works into, and I don't understand how all this works, but I know it does. He works his way into our neurons, our synapses, our neurotransmitters, you know, the word of God, the presence of God begins to work its way through your being when you are engaged deeply in the Lord. And if it's only the surface level stuff, Doug, you know, if it's only, you know, you know, let me, let me get prayed over. Let me fall down. Let me get, you know, that's going to last as long as that service lasts, maybe it'll last you the next day, but you have to learn to dig your own well in God. You've got to learn to be able to dig deep and out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water. I had a conversation two days ago with one of our team. We've got charismatic and Pentecostal churches all across the country and nobody speaks in tons anymore. You know, like there's like the lack of baptism in the Holy Spirit, focusing on that, teaching people to go deep in their personal well in God. So for me, that has been where it's always started. It started and we are here to wait on the Lord. And if God says, do nothing and be quiet for 10 minutes, we're going to do nothing, be quiet for 10, you know, or he might say, do this or do that. So that has been a key principle as we've engaged the presence of the Lord, learning to wait on God, learning to meditate on God, not only individually, but corporately in the corporate setting, you know, Hey, you know what? You don't have to prophesy. You don't have, like, we can just be in the presence of God, and allow God to be God. That's a great point. In fact, you and I were talking uh, before we started the, the call, and that our mutual friend David Ravenhill, who's going to be a guest of ours coming up soon, the son of the late Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard had a, a great impact in our lives, and of course, influence still continues. That's a real legacy, is that right. the impact and import of his life is far beyond his passing. But something that Leonard Ravenhill used to say that many of us want the power or the impact of the upper room experience without going through the process of the cross first. And, and I would take it to this point that many of us want the, the, we read the history books about revival. And, you know, Charles Finney said that revival is no more a miracle than a crop of wheat. Everybody wants the experience of revival. We read about it. We want it. And we declare it. We proclaim it. But we're always going to come up short if we don't realize that to get the power of the upper room, it doesn't come through just a vision, a wishful vision or wishful thinking. Right. It comes from, as you said, tearing in the presence of God himself. In fact, the upper room experience happened in tearing in the upper room and tearing in Jerusalem. And so there is something to what you're saying is just resonating with me that we have to get back to the place of appreciating just waiting in his presence. You know, there are times I'll go to worship services. It's, it's exciting. And people say, are you okay? I, I was in uh, Brazil one time. We had thousands of people. I was the speaker in a gathering. And, and this particular gathering was 5,000 youth leaders. And, and the music was exuberant. And I was on the inside. I was happy for this. But I was quiet. And so one of the leaders leaned over and says, are you okay with this? I said, oh, yes. I'm dancing on the inside. 
and soaking this in. So I don't have to be like everyone else. I have to process what God mm-hmm. is doing in my own way. And sometimes I'll sit in a worship service, just sit down and just bask. I'm not singing much. I'm not doing what others are doing. I want to just soak in the moment as God's doing a work in me. And, you know, Doug, if I can just connect that for a moment to the Jewish people, I think that part of the secret of the power and the grace that's on the Jewish people, right, that, that they're still here these thousands of years later, that they still are so successful, you know, as a, as, a, as a people group in so many areas, it goes back to that Shabbat principle. Because when Shabbat comes to a Jewish home, right, even a home that's just casually observant, I'm telling you what, the TV's going off, the phones are going away, the family's coming together. They're going to light those candles. They're going to sing those prayers. And so there's just this moment of kind of quiet focus that comes week after week after week. And I think that works its way throughout Jewish culture, that that Shabbat principle, that just let's be quiet. Let's, you know, we're being summoned by the Lord. You know, we're going to light those candles and not only the outward candles, but the candle of our heart is going to be lit in this moment. And so I, I think there's a power to that. I mean, there's nothing better to be in than to be in Jerusalem on a Shabbat and you literally see it happen. I mean, you know, three thirty, four o'clock, there's cars and it's beeping and it's congested and everything. And then Shabbat rolls in and within 30 minutes, the cars start to go away. Everything gets quiet. People start walking down the sidewalks. You know, there's literally, you feel Shabbat coming into the city. And so there's that place of just Again, and I think, again, corporately, they experience it corporately. And so that anointing, if you will, that health, right, that health works its way throughout the whole community. I'm praying for the Christian church that we, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but I'm so concerned about the laser shows and the smoke machines and the light shows and all this, because it's, it's, it's a fad, you know, it's going to last for 10 minutes. And if we are not deeply cultivating abiding spiritual practice within the next generation, it's, it's not going to bear good fruit. The importance of waiting on God, both individually and corporately. I enjoy exuberance. I enjoy gatherings, but I think if we leave people in the outer court ministry, rather than learning to come into the congregational court and ultimately individually the ability to walk into the holy presence of God, uh, we leave them uh, without proper preparation to deal with the issues of life. And I was thinking about even how Alan Redpath and Leonard Ravenhill during the Chapel of the Air radio broadcast back in the day, 70s and 80s, and I have an old cassette tape. For those that don't know what a cassette is, it's what (laughs) came on back in those days. But uh, they said, you know, oftentimes people leave the world to go into the church and find that the church is about an inch deep and about three miles wide. So they go back into the world. And so what we need is to come to a place where we go deeper in the Lord with expectation in him rather than our hope and expectation in the institution. Uh, Look, I'm for church, the, the gathering place. I'm for the place of mutual discipleship and accountability. That's a part of who we are. But if we begin to worship the institution rather than the yes. God of the institution, I think we're going to keep finding ourselves falling short in a time in a world in crisis that we desperately need the presence of God. No leader starts out to fail. 
Right. But somewhere along the line, something happens. The wind gets knocked out of them. Discouragement happens or we become enamored with our own celebrity or press or whatever those things may be. We're human. We're flesh with the frailty of our humanity. But we've seen so many things come and go. You've been at ministry for decades. I've been at 40 years. We, mm-hmm. We've seen things ebb and flow. There's a right. new movement. Everybody runs to that movement. Oh, yeah. Another movement. It wanes. It's There's no yeah. consistency and if right. somebody builds a church or builds something that looks successful, everyone wants to do imitate exactly what that's not, what they're yep. doing there. Rather than we should be imitators of Christ. As Leonard Ravenel yep. used to teach me, he says that we're not called to be imitators of the flesh or imitators of man. We're to be imitators of Christ. It's only by the grace of God that we're all still here. But we have seen so many people put energy on what looks successful in front of our very eyes for decades. We always see these things come and go. Even individuals that people worshipped and looked up to failed us, disheartening, and it causes a a scattering of the sheep. Today, a return to our first love is part of what worship is, of authentic worship. We return on the altar of authentic worship. How then do you maintain that place, that personal balance, that plumb line, rather than being swinging on the swings of the societal pendulum? How do you keep that plumb line in your own personal life? It's a great question. And, you know, it's a daily right? Like, I mean, you keep it by every day realizing you can lose it. You know, you keep it every day by, I think, just having a healthy fear of the Lord. I really believe that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We strive to just have that healthy fear of the Lord and not, you know, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. In practical ways, how do we keep that? A few things. By God's grace, just like you, Doug, the Lord has built, we've stewarded a, a, tr- a relational tribe that has endured for decades. Many of my core staff have been with me now 15, 20, 25 years, you know, almost literally as long as I've been in ministry. And a lot of our intercessors, a lot of my core intercessory team, in fact, have literally been with me, some of them for 30 years. So having a construct that values relationships and that understands that it's not in the instant success. It's in the long-term building of what I would call covenantal relationships. So that has been a huge part of it. And you've got to press into that intentionally. You know, that means adjusting your schedule and attending birthday parties and, you know, just, you know, having picnics and like, you know what I mean? It's not the public thing. It's you're, you're going deep. Roots are hidden. Roots are hidden. They're the most important part of the tree. (laughs) If you don't have the root, the thing's going to die. You can chop off a branch. You can chop off several branches, right? But if you cut out the roots, the tree's going to die. But roots are hidden. So roots happen in the hidden place. So that, I think, is a major portion of it. A second portion of it, and this is more recently for me, probably in the last, I'll say, 10 years or so, but I have an incredible counselor that I see regularly. You know, usually I try to see him once a week. So, you know, a therapist, he's skilled, he's a, a Christian therapist, but he's, he's skilled in weaving together theology and psychology, right? Because there's that both and reality. So I think leaders have to have that safe place where they're processing their soul and they're dialoguing through that. So those are two that come to me right off the, and I I would say number three, you know, for me, I've, I've really prioritized my family, you know, my children, I I won't say every night, because that's not true, but almost every night we have family devotions, you know, where we're together, you know, if it's super late, if we've had whatever, it might be short, it might only be 10 minutes that night, 
but almost every night, you know, we'll come together and we'll, we'll, we'll pray together. We'll read the word. And then I have different devotionals that we work through. So just, you know, building that family altar. And now as my kids are in their teenage years, I'm seeing the fruit of that. You know, I'm seeing, <laughs> there were years I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, who are these reprobates? You know, <laughs> but now they're, they're coming into, you know, a healthier sense of young adulthood. And I'm seeing great fruit, you know, from those years when I thought, what is, you know, are, is any of this getting through to them? You know, but now I see that it is. So I'd say those are three things. Number one, a, a personal, maybe for somebody, it's a spiritual director or a pastor or a confidant. I, I think if you're in leadership, you need to invest in a, a therapist. So that um, covenantal relationships, you know, deep, long-lasting covenantal relationships and then building the family altar. Those have been three things that have been vital in my life. I think all of us need to be cognizant of that because for me, I call that non-negotiables or certain things that I need to do first with my relationship with the Lord, because the kingdom of God's built on relationships first with right. God, then with one another. For me, I realized that if I'm going to leave a lasting legacy or if I'm going to impact the next generation, then I have got to make sure that it's all built on relationship first with God, then with others. So I appreciate that all of us have to have those non-negotiables in our lives so that the enemy will always try to rob us of our time. Time is one of our greatest commodities and the enemy will always try to take our time. But if we spend our time first with the Lord, then we're able to give a better quality of ourselves to others. Right. If we don't do that, we have nothing left. Going back to Shabbat and to that place of taking a day right. of rest, I remember, you know, recently we had our friend Winky Prattney on with us. He was in Auckland, New Zealand, and we had him on. And I remember Winky and also Ray Comfort, who will be one of our guests coming up soon. Both of them, New Zealanders, told me many, many decades ago that they have a non-negotiable, and that is they take their Shabbat, they take their day. It may not be the same for everyone because a pastor works all weekend or so on, but right. you need to take that day of Shabbat. Every week I get a text from our friend Salim Shalash over in Israel and reminding me, it's time for Shabbat. And so <laughs> as we were right. mentioning earlier, and of course, I've had the pleasure of knowing quite a few. Of course, you've known so many leaders in the Christian world and the Jewish world, uh, many rabbis, and we have some Orthodox friends in Israel yeah. and here as well. It's interesting how even if it's Orthodox or, or secular, it, there is something about this consistency Right. Of honoring the his, history and the landmarks because you can't build if you don't have a foundation. That's and right. then you had mentioned about rooting, you know, the tallest trees in the world, the redwoods have the most shallow root system, but beneath the surface, they're interconnected. If we don't have a connection of relationship, then we will fall. But if we're connected at the root and we're connected together in relationship, we stand taller together and we can outlast the winds and storms of life. There are all of us in leadership. You know, we never set out to, to have struggles and failures. Uh, being in the position of your global influence and multiple things you're involved in, and you're also uh, the presiding bishop at the Tabernacle, the historic church in, in Buffalo, was founded by Tommy Reed, our, our friend, and amazing work that continues on around the world. You've got so many things on your plate, and yet You've been able to maintain an element of balance, and yet all of us at some point will hit a place of either getting the wind knocked out of us, discouragement, 
I met was met with a few unexpected detours in my own life and had to maneuver right. through crisis. Uh, how have you been able to maneuver? Has there been a specific areas of your life that you've had to really press through when you didn't feel God's prayer? You didn't feel like there was any way out, but you knew that you had to keep your vision of God's destination, regardless of how you felt. Several come to mind. And I don't want to be too like, like, I want to be practical in my answer. But the honest answer is like, like the real honest answer is Jacob became Israel after he wrestled. So your identity is changed in the wrestling. And so Mm -hmm. for me, those various moments of existential crisis, like, like genuine, like crisis, life-defining crisis. I really think you have to step into the place of wrestling with God. What does that look like? Sometimes it's looked like an, an extended fast where I'm like, God, I am not letting you go. <laughs> I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Like I have got to get breakthrough in this. There, there was one time, it wasn't that long ago. I was on a walk with God. I mean, it was pouring rain. It was late at night. And I'm like, God, you know, you have got to show up in this situation. I'm a big one, Doug, who believes in journey and who believes in wrestling. I had a wonderful mentor in my early years of the Jewish Christian work that I do. And he was a rabbi. He was, he was one of the smartest and funniest, most amazing people I knew. His name was Rabbi Gerald Meister. He spoke eight languages fluently. He was just absolutely brilliant. He taught New Testament theology to Jesuit priests in a Jesuit seminary as as an Orthodox Jew. I mean, he was just an amazing man. He looked at me and he said, Robert, never trust a spiritual leader who doesn't have a great crisis of faith at least every five years or so. If you don't face a crisis of faith, it means you're not journeying. You're not becoming you're not wrestling, you know, you're just kind of settling, not being afraid of the wrestling, not being afraid of the journey, um, not being afraid of asking deeper questions of yourself, of God, of the people around you. You know, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, like you just mentioned earlier revival and I love revival. I was, people know that our ministry, actually we experienced in the early to mid nineties, about a four year prolonged open heaven revival. I mean, it was, we had 800,000 people uh, who were impacted by this move of God. So I've tasted these kind of supernatural, you know, I long for that, but we both know, like you just said, this place had the revival then that place and that, and those places are now most of them shadows, right? Uh, You know, there's what, what, what endured, what, what maintained, what remained for me, it's about embracing the wrestling, embracing the journey, and understanding that my identity is going to be changed in that. Jacob will become Israel. Cephas became Peter. Saul became Paul. There was an identity change, but it follows these moments of divine wrestling, engaging that and not being afraid of that, I think is really important. I guess that I'm often bored by safe Christianity. Show me somebody in this book who was balanced. <laughs> I don't see a lot of balanced people in this book. I see a lot of people who are, right? They're, they're, they're dreaming huge dreams and they're making enormous sacrifices and they're encountering angels and they're having visions. And of course, I'm speaking in one sense, tongue in cheek, because of course we need to have wisdom and of course we need to have balance. But man, I think we also need 
great courage and great faith and great wrestling. So I don't know if I've answered your question, but that's yeah. some of my thoughts on that. Well, you know, it's interesting for me, the Lord constantly reminds me that when speaking about the right balance and people using that term, I felt like the Lord spoke to me for me personally, and this, I can't project this on others, but that I should stay balanced in his kingdom, but not balanced with the world. There and that, that I am to be an impact in the world, but not the world impacting me. And that's, that's a it. fine, that's a difficult place to maneuver sometimes, especially as we get more recognition and, and respectability. Yeah. We've seen denominations right. you know, by revelation. Ultimately, right. they, they become institutional and crystallized. Yep. And we see that happening today. But you brought up a good point. I wanted to ask you with the, these final moments to uh, share what's on your heart, but include why do you do what you do besides the fact that you love the Lord, obviously, and then just minister to us as leaders of how we can stay the course in our own lives as well. Well, it's funny. We, we just had one of those um, firms come through that does like vision. It helps your organization set your right. fresh vision statement and go through all of your core, you know, terms and all that. We had them come through. <laughs> and then my, my final line was, you know, I said, we exist to overturn the council of Nicaea. And that was, a, you know, so what in the world am I talking about? So listen, Jesus lived, Jesus, the Jew lived and he gathered disciples. There was the resurrection in Jerusalem and then the tearing to the upper room and the spirit of God fell and something catalytic happened at that moment in history. But then somehow, and for me, the defining moment was the Council of Nicaea, Constantine. You know, there was this intermingling between faith in Yeshua, and now all of a sudden, Roman syncretism, Greco-Roman thought comes in. And really, that becomes the moment that the church becomes institutionalized. And from there, what had started as this real spiritual really Hebraic movement, honestly, God's answering of his promise to Abraham that, that they would be an or hagogim, a light to the Gentiles, became something that now, Doug, Jesus prayed one prayer. What was Jesus' prayer? John 17, he said, Father, that they may be one. Like he couldn't have been any more clear that they may be one. And last time I checked, and this is a real number, there are approximately 32,000 Christian denominations. How have we messed this up? Like, how could we have messed this up worse? He prays that we be one and we have 32,000 Christian denominations. So why I do what I do is that I fiercely believe in Jesus and I fiercely believe in his message. And I wholeheartedly believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in the upper room and I believe that we are going to see before the end of all of this, we are going to see the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I am, I am convinced of it in my heart. It gets me up in the morning. I believe that we are, and I believe we're closer to that than ever because behold, darkness will cover the earth, gross darkness, the people, but the light of God will rise upon you, Isaiah says. So in the moment of the greatest darkness comes the power of the greatest light. If I could close, Doug, by praying that for us, yes. uh, praying that anointing of the light of God rising on us. Is that all right with you, Doug? Please. So Father, I thank you for this sacred time that we've spent together in your presence. God, we honor your servant, Doug, and his whole team, God, and how they've exampled to us your life over these years. Father, 
we come with an audacious prayer of faith, Lord, that we would be those who prepare the way of the Lord. God, that there would be a prepare the way of the Lord company in town after town, city after city, nation after nation. God, that we would see this one new man come forth in Messiah. And Father, that word from Habakkuk, that behold, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Father, we ask in great faith, because we know that our high priest, the intercessor, is praying this same prayer. God, we ask that this would be the generation that sees that promise fulfilled. Father, we speak life, we speak hope, we speak grace, and Father, we speak a fresh anointing upon your people from the secret place, God, that your manifestation would come. All the creation groans and waits, God, for the revelation of your glory on your sons. May, may this be the generation that sees it. We ask it in Yeshua's name, in the mighty name of Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.